but there's still stretch goals, things you really going to have to work for because you can get the community behind that. Then they feel like, Hey, this is something like we're going to work toward, but it's not some huge burden, seemingly impossible type of thing. So find that balance. This is a goal. They're on board for the goal, but because we are doing it in a way that's not hitting them right in the wallet, we're keeping them with us through the process and keeping them in mind the whole time. Located on the beautiful shores of Lake Michigan, not far from the Sleeping Bear Dunes National Lakeshore, the small town of Traverse City, Michigan has joined over 100 U.S. cities with its commitment to 100% renewable electricity. The city has already taken several strides toward its 2040 goal, and two members of the city's Power and Light Board, Amy Shamro and Tim Werner, joined me in February 2020 to discuss why the goal was set and how they see the city achieving this ambitious goal. I'm John Farrell, Director of the Energy Democracy Initiative at the Institute for Local Self-Reliance, and this is our special Voices of 100 series focused on local leaders and their pursuit of 100% renewable energy. It's all part of Local Energy Rules, a bi-weekly podcast sharing powerful stories about local renewable energy. Amy Shamro is Mayor Pro Tem of Traverse City and on the Light and Power Board. Amy, welcome to the program. Thanks for having me. And I also have with me Tim Warner. He's a city commissioner and also one of the seven members of the city's Light and Power Board managing its municipal utility. Tim, welcome. Thank you. So I wanted to start off with a lot of cities, now over 100 cities, have made this kind of renewable energy commitment. And just to learn a little bit about what motivated folks in Traverse City to want to make this kind of commitment, and and when was it adopted? So I'll throw that out. I don't know who wants to take that question, but just curious kind of how things got started. Well, I can kind of talk about the general consensus or the movement within the city, kind of the more political end. And Tim did a lot of the work behind the scenes to bring a lot of the right people to the table and have the right groups involved to really look at the nitty gritty and the numbers and the, we don't know have all the how worked out, but kind of more of the um, practical application. And so, um, you know, I was actually born and raised in Traverse City and ended up back here as an adult. And one of the things that's kind of a tenet, if anybody's been lucky enough to visit our city, is we are right on Grand Traverse Bay, which is part of Lake Michigan. And we just have a very beautiful natural environment. So one thing that unifies people in our area is the environment. Even, you know, people on all sides of the political spectrum, but people make their money off of it through tourism, through things like fishing, through businesses that thrive and are set up to serve people in the summer when people come up here. We have people who are here because of the water and are environmentalists. So it, it unifies a lot of people in a lot of different ways that you don't see in many places. So got, starting to talk about 100% renewable goal, starting to talk about some, some of this more clean energy movement and more environmentally responsible ways to manage ourselves got more support here, I think, than you would see in a lot of places. It also helps, to be frank, that we are a city-owned utility and that we service and our ratepayers and our, our shareholders, if you will, are residents. And our residents do tend to be more progressive in the city itself. We're a little blue dot in kind of a sea of red and purple. So ultimately, we answered them. So when they're, we're on board for something and they're on board for it, it makes it much smoother process than if we're answering to shareholders and looking at stock prices. So all of that kind of comes together to make it a pretty, it was a, I won't say it was a smooth process, but it was you didn't have a lot of people protesting and you didn't get a lot of people saying this is a really terrible idea. It was more a question of 
okay, if you want to do this, how are you going to do this? I just want to ask you about that notion of a community-owned utility, because this has come up a lot in recent months, particularly in light of what's been going on in California. You have all these wildfires that have bankrupted one of the largest investor-owned private utility companies in the country. And there's been this big debate, too. There are political candidates, presidential candidates talking about you know taking over power systems to do clean energy to address climate change. It's interesting to hear you talk about the importance of that community-owned utility. Do you think that it would have been as straightforward in terms of even making the commitment if you hadn't had a utility that you thought could be responsive to the political process? Yeah, I'll jump in on that one. I think it's because of the flexibility and the nimbleness that we have. We don't always realize that, but we do have it because we are small for a small community. And I think it's a huge advantage to be able to answer directly to community members. I mean, you see them in your day-to-day life. And so to make that relatively quick decision, whereas if you're answering to you know, tens of millions of ratepayers, you know, a large, say, California utility, you're just not going to have that flexibility and nimbleness. It can still happen, but it's a, it's a huge effort and a huge lift and takes probably orders of magnitude more time to happen. So I had the pleasure of driving through Traverse City a couple years ago. My family was camping out in Sleeping Bear Dunes National Lakeshore. So I can definitely appreciate what you mentioned, Amy, in terms of the environmental quality of the community. I also took some pictures of the wind turbine and the solar panels that you have near the community as I went by, because it's the kind of nerdy thing that I do in my work. <laughs> and and those a picture of that, a better picture of it that actually is hosted by your Light and Power Board is actually on the front page of a report we recently put out about community-owned utilities or community-directed utility purchasing called Community Choice Aggregation. It's a policy available in other states. And that has been used by a lot of communities to accelerate the progress toward renewable energy. So why don't I talk about that just a little bit and ask you, you already have some renewable energy resources that I got to see as I drove through your community a couple of years ago. How has the process developed? What's the thinking about how you get to this goal of 100% renewable electricity? I'm going to actually let Tim field this one again, only because there's a reason he was the one who cut the ribbon on that solar array. So <laughs> Tim, yeah, it partly gets back to your first question that Amy was addressing is, you know, how did this all come to be? So politically, Traverse City City Commission, I would say, had more of a, a passion for moving this forward than the Light and Power Board, say, looking back five years ago to 10 years ago, that sort of thing. And so the city commission took the initiative, if you will, to move toward 100%. And by that, I mean that uh, I've lost track of time now. Maybe it was in 2016, fall of 2016 or so, that the city commission passed a resolution wanting city facilities, if you will, to be 100% renewable energy for electricity because that was within our purview to say, yes, that's what we wanted and direct our city manager uh, to help us make that happen because there was some frustration and a little friction between the city commission and the light and power board city commission, not feeling that the light and power board was sufficiently interested, if you will. So it took the initiative, passed a resolution. Okay. Now how do we actually achieve that? And I like to say back at the time that because Amy and I wear both hats, but with the hat of the city commission on, we can just be naive politicians. We don't have to know how it can be done or whether it will be done necessarily. 
we can just say this is what we want to happen, direct the city manager to make it happen. We don't have to have it all figured out ahead of time. Tim's being a little modest here. Tim is an engineer, not an electrical engineer. So it does help, I think, when we're wearing both hats. We can be a little bit of, as he's saying, we can be a little passive and we don't have to know how it's going to happen. But he is good at getting into the numbers to show how it's feasible. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas I tend to, I think, be a little bit more of the political one that talks about the will and the um, you know, immediacy of climate change. I just want to interject since <laughs> you were being a little okay. too mad. Oh, thanks. So go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> but then quickly thereafter, because we had passed it as a city commission and wanted to make some real progress to show the greater community that we were, that we were serious about it. We weren't just making a declaration to pat ourselves on the back, but wanted to make it happen. We did have the opportunity for the one megawatt solar array that you would have seen up on the hill on the edge of town, and it was going to cost a premium. And so we had some really good discussions about how much are we willing to spend for that premium to get some renewable energy, to have it located right on the edge of town. So it is highly visible. You got to see it. Others get to see it and associate it with Traverse City as opposed to paying for something that's maybe 50 miles away, remote, nobody ever sees So we saw value in having it close by, you know, if you will, kind of a marketing thing, the speed with which it could be built. I think it was put up in that first summer because the developer was ready to go prior to us even having the resolution. And there was value in that. So value in the speed, value in the location. And that was very convincing. I think it ended up being unanimous support on the city commission to approve the expenditure to invest in that solar array, the one megawatt array that is up by the wind turbine. So that that's really what kicked it off as a larger community. And then once Light and Power saw that the city commission was really going to do this um, and the larger community, you know, around Michigan and even outside of Michigan saw that, wow, this Traverse City place, they're actually willing to spend money. It started to create its own market, if you will. You know, people started to show up saying, hey, we'd want to develop some renewable energy and so the conversation has just greatly elevated since that point. The one megawatt solar array, it sounds like really got things started. Do you have a plan now or at least, you know, a sort of step by step? Maybe you don't know exactly how you get to 100% what that system looks like at that point. But I mean, how close are you now in terms of renewable energy or renewable electricity? And then how far do you still need to go? Right. So the city actually achieved it just this past fall, late in the fall. We are using renewable energy credits as a bridge because we're through Light and Power. And I'm happy to say the City Commission and Light and Power Board have a fantastic working relationship now. You know, it's evolved over the past several years. Both groups are moving toward this 100% renewable goals. So we had the one megawatt and that that got things going. But so I was saying we have RECs Mm -hmm. uh, as a bridge because through Light and Power, the city proper has access to additional five megawatts of a much larger solar installation going in downstate in Michigan, but that won't be online until 2021. So we have Rex as a bridge to that. And that's the last piece in the puzzle. And there are a lot of pieces in between that were worked on through light and power so that the city, again, for its uh, electricity needs is we can claim we are 100% renewable. And now the Light and Power Board and through its work in parallel, if you will, has added a two megawatt solar array up across the road from that one megawatt array. 
as well as investing in a couple of downstate, we call it downstate over here in Michigan, but mm-hmm. downstate solar projects, you know, that are on the order of a hundred megawatt projects. And we're buying into a smaller part of that, maybe eight to 10 megawatts on each. And so Light and Power has its goals of 40% renewable electricity by 2025 and then 100% by 2040. And so there are, there are pieces to the puzzle that are being put into place essentially, you know, every year. And we're working toward those goals. You know, you mentioned that first megawatt was going to be at a premium. Is the Light and Power Board finding that they still have to pay a little extra? Or is it the case now, as in so many other places around the country, where the solar that they're buying into to reach this goal is actually competitive with what they're paying for other sources? No, it's still a premium. And that could change over time because it's really compared to market rates. It is as far as uh, on an annual basis, the city as a customer of Light and Power and Light and Power looks at, because we're buying it from a third party who uh, technically owns the one megawatt, but we've committed contractually to purchase all the electricity from it Mm -hmm. uh, for the next 20 years. And so projections are that I think it was seven or eight years out that will probably flip or could flip depends on a lot of factors, as you're well aware, price for natural gas, whether we ever get to carbon tax or all those sorts of things. But for the time being, there still is a premium on an annual basis. I wanted to ask sort of back in terms of more like the political development of this process, was there a lot of what other communities are talking about is trying to figure out how this kind of goal can benefit everybody. So folks are using this term equity. Sometimes they're talking about in terms of racial equity. When a conversation I had with folks out in Providence, Rhode Island, they have a fairly large African-American population and some other communities. It's been Native Americans or just focusing on like low-income customers and making sure that they're either held harmless or, or benefit from that. I was curious if there's been any conversation about that in terms of you know, you've talked a little bit about paying a little premium for the renewable energy, but is there also some conversation about the benefits and how those will be shared or or how to keep costs low? I'll step in on that one. So that's always been kind of at the forefront of the conversation. While we are a very progressive community, as I mentioned, and people are very concerned about our environment, we are also a community with a lot of retirees of varying backgrounds. We are a mixed income community. So we do pride ourselves on having some of the lowest rates in the state of Michigan. I think we're like in the top 10 or so. In the top 10 makes it sound like we're high, but um, we're, we're some of the lowest in the state. And, and that is something that I would credit our board. Um, while we have a much better relationship with them, there are still a few people who have been on for probably two terms. A term is five years and have been through a lot of this process, have gone from the kind of more we give electric, this is what we do, we have our contracts, we're fine, mentality of a board to transitioning to one that's more, no, this is our community and we want it to be sustainable. And they've been a good bridge in that regard of saying, okay, yep, we'll go along with this. I'm going to question that. But also let's keep in mind the rates. And that's not to say that we're afraid of touching the rates at all. It's that we don't want to suddenly jump from being one of the lower rates in the state to middle or high even Mm -hmm. and surprising our customers because every everything has a pressure point that it can't sustain or go beyond. And I think around here that is rates are going to be one of those things that tempers us. I won't say it holds us back because I think as Tim has mentioned, 
we found some ways to do it already that haven't broken the bank. We see the constant evolution of the technology that's out there for green energy through batteries, through more efficient methods. So I, I think we're all looking into that. We're investing in it. We're, we're even bringing in other experts from areas that have done 100% renewable to see how they're doing it and take notes that way as opposed to kind of going to the standard industry people who are going to just talk about natural gas and and think that's good enough. So people, I think, are seeing that this is a goal. They're on board for the goal. But because we are doing it in a way that's not hitting them right in the wallet, we're keeping them with us through the process and keeping them in mind the whole time. So that hasn't become too much of an issue. And we've we've had open discussions that, yes, this might affect your rate a little bit here and a little bit there. But the goal of the board is to definitely not make it a, well, you have a choice. You can either have a lower electric bill or you can have green energy, but you can't have both. We're trying to be a model to allow people to have both. Yeah, the Amy's spot on right there. In my mind, we're essentially having our cake and eating it too. And that's you know our earliest discussions at Light and Power about trying to move toward you know, 100% renewable. We're very much in tune with not inflicting economic harm, if you will, to those that can least afford it. And so that's always been part of the conversation. And we've been fortunate to be able to move this forward with you know very low price points. So yes, that one megawatt on the edge of town for Traverse City proper is at a premium. But in the grand scheme of things, uh, you know, the multi-million dollar budgets for light and power, it's in the noise and it has no effect on rate payers. We're going to take a short break. When we come back, I ask if Amy and Tim are familiar with the few cities that have achieved their ambitious 100% goals, whether their city's utility power contracts give them enough flexibility to go renewable, and I ask them what advice they have to other cities, large and small, aiming for 100% renewable power. Hey, thanks for listening to Local Energy Rules. If you've made it this far, you're obviously a fan, and we could use your help for just two minutes. As you've probably noticed, we don't have any corporate sponsors or ads for any of our podcasts. The reason is that our mission at ILSR is to reinvigorate democracy by decentralizing economic power. Instead, we rely on you, our listeners. Your donations not only underwrite this podcast, but also help us produce all of the research and resources that we make available on our website and all of the technical assistance we provide to grassroots organizations. Every year, ILSR's small staff helps hundreds of communities challenge monopoly power directly and rebuild their local economies. So please take a minute and go to ILSR.org and click on the Donate button. And if making a donation isn't something you can do, please consider helping us in other ways. You can help other folks find this podcast by telling them about it or by giving it a review on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. The more ratings from listeners like you, the more folks can find this podcast and ILSR's other podcasts, Community Broadband Bits, and Building Local Power. Thanks again for listening. Now, back to the program. I just out of curiosity, have you talked to folks in Burlington, Vermont? I actually just did a podcast interview with them that we published a few weeks ago because they've gotten to 100% renewable electricity already and had a very engaging conversation with both the mayor and someone from their light and power board who had helped implement so it's really interesting because your story reminds me a lot of theirs in terms of the way that there was a lot of cooperation between city government and the municipal utility in terms of achieving that goal. Funny you mentioned that, Lara, last yeah, yeah. power board meeting. <laughs> we just had someone come in and speak. Yeah, we had Gabrielle from the board 
come speak to Shriver City Lightning Power because that has been one of the issues is, so we've committed to this. There's a lot of other places that are too. A lot of them though are, you know, California, Nevada, places where the, the sun really is there to support them. Not that they're the only ones, but so it was nice to talk to someone from Burlington because they're a little more similar to us. We're looking at the snow outside right now and kind of a gray day and hearing how they did it. And so it was great to hear from somebody else who has done it and who's moved in that direction. Now they did do biomass early on. And that was something that Trevor city actually looked at. And while we are, we've just been talking about how pro environment and forward thinking the community is, there was a massive debate in the community that was really divisive in the nineties about biomass. They wanted to build a biomass plant and people just were adamantly against it, or some people, you know, some people said this is the way of the future, adamantly against it. We ended up not going through with it. So there was kind of a bit of joking around, well, if we'd done it, we'd be at our goal already. But right. it was good to talk to them to get more perspective on people who are doing are doing it a natural way and trying to get there. A lot of times we do hear from people trying to tell us like, oh, you know, we get a lot of the industry people saying, well, natural gas is a a green energy or it's alternative. Yeah, exactly. Alternative fuel. And so it's, we've had a lot of trouble finding people who can even talk to us on the level that we're at as far as, no, we want green renewable energy, not just something that isn't oil. So that was talking to them. They've been a great leader on this and we really appreciate that they've come to us. I know they go out to other communities and speak. We've also had Green Mountain come talk to us at some energy conferences. So the information is out there. I think what's been interesting and perhaps even a little frustrating for those who are just starting into it or thinking about venturing into it is because every place is so unique, what composite works to get one place to 100% or to leapstart them isn't necessarily going to work in another, whether it's the politics behind it, the practicality of the you know, wind or solar or whatever else um, they might be looking at, hydro. Here we are on one of the biggest Great Lakes and we can't really access hydro. So there's all kinds of factors that I think are out there, but it's we're starting to see a community develop, which makes all the difference in the world. Because when you feel like you're out there on your own, you're thinking, well, 20 years from now, I'm sure we can hit a 2040 goal. And the rubber starts hitting the road in about 2030 for us because I think our first coal plant that we have a contract with is due to go offline. Then we have two contracts that are still out there. One's due to go off around 2030 and the other 2035. So we are kind of keenly aware of that and looking at who's doing what and what information is out there to, to model after. So it's, it's nice to start seeing this open dialogue between cities. Yeah, I'm really glad you mentioned the contracts, actually, because this is one of the interesting sticking points that we've encountered in talking with communities that own their own utility is that a lot of times they are on these very long term contracts for power purchases. And they don't have a lot of flexibility. So like Rochester, Minnesota, for example, made a 100% commitment that was oddly their goal was 2031. And I remember when we dug into it, it was like, oh, that's the year that they roll off the contracts for their municipal power agency mm-hmm. and they're able to buy their own stuff. And so it sounds like you're in a similar position where yeah. you have to wait a little while for some of these things because you're obligated to buy that power through a certain time. Yeah, it does make for some very interesting conversations. And part of it, not maybe it was last summer we were having a conversation about this is, well, what can we do? Like, even if we could 
break those contracts somehow legally, you know, put the attorneys on it, are we making the world a better place? Like if those plants, if they're just going to sell that electricity from coal to somebody else at a cheap rate because we broke the contract so we can be renewable, does that really make the world a better place? And so they're excellent conversations as far as, you know, how do we move this forward and not just be our own little island, but be part of the world community, if you will. I enjoy those conversations. They're not necessarily always productive, but they are eye-opening and really get you to think about what's going on. Yeah. Yeah, I would agree with that. But I would also say part of that conversation, too, that we had at the time was also if we break those contracts, how much does that put us on the hook for financially and going back into that rate payer question, too. So the the only thing I would say, though, is indicative of beyond what the city uh, is doing and local utilities are doing is 10 years ago, Michigan was slated to have another 10, 12 years ago, another coal power plant built. And the lack of interest from the main users of the two that exist forced the project to just stop in its tracks. So I think that's an indicator too, that while municipals are leading on this, you know, I'm sure we've all seen that consumers and others have made energy goal pledges as well that are at least helping us to have more available and not putting the pressure on, you know, as Tim mentioned, 10 years ago, we had a very different light and power board. We could have been saddled with yet another coal power contract that we weren't going to be able to get out of. So there's some long-term stuff out there, but I think that hopefully that's starting to shrink up for everyone. Great. And I guess I would like to tie it back in. Maybe you're going to get to a question on it, but the question about Vermont and somebody from Burlington, part of what I appreciated in having uh, somebody from Burlington come speak to the light power board was an even bigger picture of reducing our carbon footprint in Traverse City. So getting more, elevating the conversation to be more than just electricity, but also transportation and buildings, you know, heat, especially there being in the northern climate like we are. And so that gives me a little bit of solace, thinking that, well, we might be tied to these coal contracts into 2035, that there are other opportunities that we can be working on uh, in parallel, such as transportation and building efficiency and heating. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Well, I was going to wrap up and just ask, you know, you mentioned this already, Amy, I think you said that it's sometimes frustrating because the solutions for 100% renewable that have been made by so many different communities are rather unique to that community. So I was wondering if you do have any advice for folks. One of the goals of this podcast is for communities that are thinking about a goal, for communities that have maybe made a goal and are thinking about, well, how do we get there? What should folks be thinking about? What should they keep front of mind in that conversation? I would say that the first approach should be, how can we do this? Not should we do it or what's out there right now? I think that it can be easy to get bogged down, especially when you're saying committing to hundred percent and saying, you know, well, the technology isn't there yet. It's not there yet, but chances are most utilities are kind of where we are, which is we're there a bit, but we need to get it a little further but how do we make that step? How do we set the tone? And so by doing this, we've set the tone, not just for our current board, but boards that are coming forward behind us. So, you know, in five years, neither Tim nor I might be on the board, but we still put that goal out there. That's still something everybody's working towards. We're still getting the right information. So that would be the one thing I would say is don't get caught up in either the, how are we going to do it and getting fretful about what that's going to look like and, 10 years, 20 years, 
And also we had the opposite push too of, well, just say you want to be you know, 100% by 2030 and knowing we have these coal plant things out there and other ties, just don't let anybody pressure your organization. Feel it out, feel what works for your community and where you're comfortable putting that stake in the ground. Because I think it's it's a very powerful thing and I don't want to diminish that, but at the same time, it's just like any other utility or work goal for a community, which is we're making the decision to go forward in a certain direction. Now let's figure out the steps to get there. And, you know, it goes to the Rome wasn't built in a day. Well, that applies to green energy as well. So get the goal out there, figure out what works for the community, and then start taking the bite-sized pieces off to get to that goal and talk to the right communities. There's a growing field of them. And I think we're all happy to help as we all progress further. So it's kind of our own little club right now. And although I have to say, I think within 10 years, it's not going to be a little club anymore. I think you are going to see the big players as part of it as well. Mm-hmm. So um, that's ultimately only going to benefit all of us. So keeping all of that in mind, don't be afraid of making the bold statement because there is the support and there are other people doing it to help you along the way and show that it's not some pie in the sky dream. It's going to be doable and all of us together make it more probable that it'll happen in a timely manner because there's the demand now and that's, that's capitalism. So people, people think that these are sometimes, you know, hundred percent renewable goals or green energy is kind of foo-foo-y, but as we all know, it's an emerging industry and it's got capitalism right behind it. So all of those factors I think are coming together right now and it's a great time for people to start looking at goals like this and figuring out how they can do them. Tim, any advice from you? Yeah, I, I guess, I mean, it's, it's really just echoing what Amy said, but thinking back, especially to light and powers discussions, you know, trying to be responsible uh, you know, for the long-term health of the utility, we had really good conversations about setting aspirational goals. You know, otherwise, like, why, why are we doing this if it's not aspirational, but at the same time, making it not feel impossible. So finding that balance between what is clearly impossible and what's aspirational. So not setting a hundred percent renewable goal by next year or three years from now. So pick realistic dates, but there's still stretch goals, things you really are going to have to work for because you can get the community behind that. Then they feel like, Hey, this is something like we're going to work toward, but it's not some huge burden, seemingly impossible type of thing. So find that balance and you can really help keep the energy of those already interested and, and get additional parts of your community behind it because it's, uh, it's the right thing to do. Well, thank you so much to both of you, Amy and Tim, for joining me to talk about Traverse City's goal and to give people a lot of context and flavor for how these kinds of decisions are made in their communities. I think there's a lot of great advice in this entire conversation and I really appreciate you taking the time. Thanks for having me. Thanks for the opportunity. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of our Voices of 100% podcast series with Traverse City Commissioners and members of the board overseeing the city's publicly owned utility, Amy Shamro and Tim Warner. To learn about other cities pursuing 100% renewable energy, check out over a dozen additional Voices of 100% interviews, including leaders in Madison, Wisconsin, Cleveland, Ohio, or even Abita Springs, Louisiana. Check out Sierra Club's Ready for 100 campaign page to see more cities and their clean energy goals. Back on the website of the Institute for Local Self-Reliance, you can also find the entire list of 100% cities on our Community Power Map and click through an interactive Community Power Toolkit for stories on how cities have advanced toward their goals. 
Tune back into Local Energy Rules every two weeks to hear more powerful stories of communities taking on concentrated power to transform the energy system. Until next time, keep your energy local, and thanks for listening.